Back in the late 17th century, there was a new philosophy that developed, a new way of thinking about the world. This period was known as the Age of Enlightenment, the Age of Reason. See, during this period, people believed that you could only know if something's true if you could test it by using science or rational thinking. So if something couldn't be tested by using science or rational method, then it doesn't hold any authority. You can't accept it. So you can't believe that God exists because you can't prove that God exists with science. And that's the way that we've been influenced today. Western society is grounded on this sort of philosophy. And it's gone to the point where people like the postmodernists would say that there's no truth. There's no such thing as objective truth now. Because truth is just something that you make up as you go along. It's your version of reality. It's the way you see things. So if you believe it's true, then it's true. Truth is just relative. There's no absolute objective truth. So for example, uh, Harold Pinter, a postmodernist, says, there are no hard distinctions between what is real and what is unreal, not between what is true and false. A thing is not necessarily true or false. It can be both true and false. If you believe it's true for you, then it's true. But when you think about this, it doesn't make sense. Truth just can't be whatever you want it to be. Because if you can't make true objective judgments about something, it just becomes personal preference. You can't just make a decision decision on life based on what you think is true. I can't just wake up in the morning and think that red traffic lights means go and think that that's true. No, because truth is important. And every day we rely on objective truth. We rely on the, that the sun is going to come up tomorrow morning. That when we go and see the doctor, that he's going to give us the right diagnosis. That he's going to tell us the truth about our health. When an electrician comes over, we rely on the truth that he's going to know the difference between the black and red wires. That black's negative and red's positive. You see, truth is important. And all these truths are important in our lives. But what's the most important truth we need to know? What's the truth that's going to affect us, not just now, but even after we die? But that's what we'll find out in today's passage. Uh, The passage that we're looking at today continues on from last week, uh, when Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the last day of the festival, remember how Jesus stood in front of all the Jews and all the religious leaders and said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. See, Jesus invited everyone to believe in him. And by believing, God's spirit will dwell in them. And in today's passage, Jesus makes another massive claim. He says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. What's so significant about this? What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? Well, the Feast of Tabernacles was a festival that the Jews celebrated to remember God's faithfulness to them. To remember when God was faithful to them, when they were wandering in the desert. And to celebrate this, they would have this light ceremony where they would have these golden bowls of oil lit up. 
and put on stands in the temple. And these 16 bowls of oil would light up all of Jerusalem. And so it's in this context where Jesus is in the temple, where these bowls of light are, that he says, I am the light of the world. See, just like how the sun lights our world, heats our planet, controls our weather, gives light to the earth. Jesus is a light to this dark world, a light to people walking in darkness, in sin. He's the source of light and salvation. And you think about light in the Old Testament, it points us to the presence of God. Straight after the Israelites escape uh, escape Egypt, God leads them in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could follow him. The Israelites would sing psalms that God is my light and my salvation. The prophets, like Isaiah, prophesied that one day the servant of the Lord would be a light to all nations, to bring salvation to all peoples of the earth. See, here Jesus is saying, I'm that light. I'm the source of salvation. Follow me. Believe me. And you're not going to walk in darkness anymore. You're going to have the path of life. So what do the Pharisees think about this? Well, they're not happy about it, so they have a go at Jesus. You think you're the light of the world, Jesus? Says who? Are you just saying this yourself, Jesus? Do you have any backup? Look at what they say in verse 13. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Testimony is not valid. You can see how how shocking their comment is. All through John's Gospel, we've seen how heaps of people have testified to who Jesus is. John the Baptist did at the start. He said that this is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The disciples have testified to him. But the Pharisees don't get it. So Jesus appeals to the ultimate witness in verse 18. God the Father. He's got the backing of God the Father. See, Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. All the signs and all the miracles pointed to the fact that Jesus was doing God's work. He didn't rock up with his own agenda because time and time again Jesus refers to the Father because it's only through him that he has come. But the Pharisees still don't get it. So they ask him in verse 19, where is your Father? They want Jesus to bring him out so that they can see him. The Pharisees don't even actually understand that Jesus is talking about God. I mean, this is really significant. Jesus is saying to them, you don't actually know God. You think you're, you're all that, following every letter of the law. Uh, you think you're all religious and you think you're all okay with God. You know a lot about God, but you don't know him. Because if you haven't recognised me and I've been sent from God, then you don't know God at all. You don't have any business with God. Look at what he says in verse 19. You do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So what does Jesus do? Well, he gives them some clues about himself. First he tells them he's not from this world, that he's from above in verse 23. You see, Jesus didn't just come into his existence when he was born on earth. He was already there before time, way before the world was created. There, united with the father and the spirit. And so when he says he's going away in verse 21, it means he's going back to the Father. 
And what's ironic is that they think he's going to kill himself in verse 22. But we know that ultimately Jesus goes back to the Father, where he always was. The second clue Jesus gives is that they're going to die in their sin if they don't believe in him. Because that's why he comes, that people can be freed from their bondage to sin, from their rebellion against God. You see, Jesus is the only way for them to get to God. And what do they do? They respond in verse 25. Who are you? Who do you think you are to say that you're gonna, we're gonna die in our sins if we don't believe in you? You can sense their frustration, their anger. But they still don't get it. They still don't know who Jesus really is, even though he's given them clue after clue. But one day, they're eventually gonna recognize him. Have a look at verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. You see what Jesus is saying? They're going to recognize Him. And it's going to happen when they lift Him up on the cross. They're the ones who are going to play a part in Jesus' death on the cross. And that's when they're going to find out who He really is. Because the cross shows us that, shows us Jesus' true identity. It shows us that He wasn't just a man but that he was the son of God who actually came to die for us. So one way or another, they're going to recognize who Jesus is and stand in judgment, or they're going to believe in him and stand forgiven. Time is running out. Jesus is going back to the Father, and the warning is clear. If they don't believe in him, they're going to die in their sins. So some of the Pharisees, uh, they think they've worked out Jesus out. Uh, They think they know who he really is. And so verse 30 tells us that many believed in him. So what does Jesus do? Well, he questions them. He wants to test them to see if they actually really believe in him. He tells them in verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's this truth that Jesus is talking about? just sounds arrogant. How does Jesus think he knows the truth? Well, the truth is the truth about the gospel, about how God has sent his only son to the world to die for our sins. You see, that's the truth. That's the truth of the gospel. So what does the truth set you free from? Is it freedom from political oppression? Is it freedom to do what you want? Well, verse 33 gives us a hint. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall not shall be set free? Now, anyone who knows about Israel's history knows that they were slaves in Egypt. And the Pharisees know that Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom, not political freedom. And because they're Abraham's descendants, they think that this makes them right with God. And Jesus knows that this is a tough thing for them to get their head around. But it's important for them to know. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make you right with God. Paul says the same thing in his letter to the Romans. It's faith that makes you right with God. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And you can't be set free by having the same genes as Abraham. But look at what Jesus says in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, do you get the point Jesus is making? The Jews think that being physical descendants of Abraham is all that matters. They think that's their security blanket. 
But Jesus says, no, you're a slave. And slaves don't have security. Slaves can be traded. Slaves can be sold. Slaves don't have security in God's family. But Jesus is the one who can give them security. Jesus is the one who can free them. Because Jesus is the son. He's the one that has security in the family. He's the one that they need to trust to have to spiritual freedom, to be spiritually free. The Jews are physically from Abraham, but spiritually they're not. And that's the only thing that counts. Because if they were spiritually from Abraham, then they would have listened to Jesus. Look at verse 39. If you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. Abraham believed in God. Abraham obeyed God's voice, obeyed his laws, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But these Jews, they're rejecting God's voice. They haven't, they haven't taken on Jesus' word. They're rejecting Jesus, who's been sent by God. They don't want to know him, but they want to kill him instead. So Jesus says, Abraham isn't their father. God isn't their father. Their father is the devil. Have a look at verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Can you imagine how they would have reacted to that? Jesus has just said that their father is the devil. And so the Jews are angry. They're furious. They swear at Jesus in verse 48. Aren't you a Samaritan? Aren't you demon-possessed? And like Saul loses in a game, they stone him. And why? Because Jesus tells them in verse 58, Before Abraham was born, I am. Can you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that he is God. He's identifying himself as the God of the Old Testament. That's the name God uses for himself back in Exodus. He said, I am who I am. Jesus is clearly saying that he's God. He's the one who's always been there. And it takes us back to John's prologue at the start. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus is claiming to be God. And that's why the Jews are so angry at him. And they wanted to stone him because that's what the punishment was for blasphemy. So you can't see it any clearer in this passage that Jesus is God. He's the light of the world. He's the one who brings salvation to everyone. He stands with the Father. He's got the backing of the Father. Verse 16, he speaks what the Father tells him to. Verse 27, he's the one who can set people free. Verse 37, he's the one who holds the truth from the Father. Verse 40, have you noticed how many times Jesus refers to the Father? What's his point? Well, it's to show that he's the son of God. It's to show that he's been sent by God. Jesus didn't rock up with his own agenda. He didn't come by his own authority. No, he came with the authority of the Father to teach people the truth, the truth about himself. You see, truth isn't just whatever you want it to be. All religions aren't true, and they can't be all true because there's absolute truth. And that's found in Jesus. When it comes to the gospel, it's not like someone has just randomly come up with this idea about God. No, God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed the truth to us. I mean, that's really profound. Because left to our own devices, there's no way we'd be able to find out what the truth is. We could search all we want, but we would never find it. 
Because with Christianity, God reveals the truth to us. And he reveals it to, to in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the source of all truth. The embodiment of truth. And so if Jesus is the truth, then that changes everything in our life. Because Jesus becomes a standard of truth. Jesus becomes the reference point of knowing what everything else in life is true. You see, every day uh, in the world we live in, the world presents truths to us. Uh, we present it with truths about money, success, career, that you need to do what's best for you. Whatever makes you happy, you need to do it. You can't sacrifice your own happiness, your freedom. If you're not happy with your marriage, get a divorce, that's fine. Because you've got to do what's best for you. You've got free choice. If you want an abortion, that's, that's your choice. You have rights. You see, all these voices around us claim they know the truth. But Jesus says, he is the truth. Can you see the importance of knowing that Jesus holds the truth? Jesus gives us a new perspective, a fresh start. You see the world in a whole new way. Uh, there's meaning in the life. There's meaning in suffering, in death. There's hope and meaning even after death. Uh, Zoe's dad, Tony Powell, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer at 45 and last week we held his funeral back in Melbourne. But even in the midst of all his suffering, in his 10 years of battling cancer, uh, in the six years that I've known him, I could see that he knew that there was a purpose in all this. That God's hand was in it. And I remember saying to Zoe, I don't think I've ever seen your dad grumpy or discontent. He was always so joyful. And of course, he actually experienced a lot of pain and suffering. But even in that, he was surpassed by his hope and trust in Jesus. When the doctor said that he was only going to have one more week to live, um, he planned his whole funeral. He chose the hymns and he chose the passage that was to, pre to be preached on. And after listening to all the eulogies uh, in the funeral from his friends and family, it was so clear that he put his hope and trust in Jesus, in the good times and even in the bad. And this gave him purpose and strength in his suffering. And so he knew that when he was going to breathe his last breath, that he would be with the Lord Jesus. You see, Tony knew that when he put his trust in the truth of Jesus, he wasn't walking in darkness anymore. I'm sure you've experienced a blackout before. There's no electricity. So what's the first thing you do? You stumble in the dark, looking for the torch or some candles, so that there's light, so that you can see again. You see, we're not stumbling in the dark anymore because Jesus is the light that directs our path. Knowing that Jesus is the truth opens our eyes. And it's only then that we can actually clearly see the world around us, whatever life throws at us. But it doesn't stop there because knowing the truth of Jesus sets us free as well. Jesus sets us free from our enslavement to sin. See, it doesn't matter how good you think you are. If you've ever told a lie, if you've ever looked at someone lustfully, if you've ever gossiped or stolen, if you've stuffed up only once, then Jesus says you're a slave to sin. It's like in archery. If my aim is to go for the bullseye and I miss it, it doesn't matter how far I've missed it, does it? In the same way with God, it doesn't matter how bad our sins are. It doesn't matter if we've tried to live a good life and never murdered anyone. 
There's no small sins and big sins. If we've missed the mark once, then we've fallen short of God's standard. And Jesus says, we're slaves to sin. I mean, it sounds a bit harsh, but it's true. Let's say you went home today and wrote yourself five simple rules for the week. Number one, you're not going to be impatient with your wife, your husband, or your children. Number two, you're not going to gossip about anyone. Number three, you're going to try to put people at work before yourself. Number four, you're going to rejoice and not curse when the car next to you cuts you off. Number five, you're not going to have any impure thoughts. For one whole week, how do you think you'll go? Do you think you'll meet the standard? There's no way I'd be able to meet that. See, we can't meet our own standard, let alone God's. And it's because we have a sinful nature. We're born with sin. We're born as rebels. We're born outside the Garden of Eden. I don't have to teach Rafi how to be selfish, disrespectful, disobedient. I don't have to teach him how to be naughty, how to to throw tantrums to seek attention. No, I have to teach him how to be selfless, how to be respectful, how to be obedient. Because it's in his nature to rebel. And that's how it is for all of us. Let's face it, we're not free. We're slaves to sin. We break promises in our relationships. We're selfish. We're arrogant. But Jesus has given us a way out. You see, back in the ancient world, the majority of the population were slaves. Slaves would have to pay off their debts while working as long as it would take. Or someone else could pay the debt for them. The ransom price. See, Jesus has come as the light of the world to pay the ransom for us, to rescue us, to set us free, to live faithfully in a relationship with God. And that's what true freedom is. Because true freedom is actually to do what you're designed to do. You see, our world and our, and our culture around us tells us that you've got to be free to do what you want. You can't have restrictions. You can't have limits. You've got a right and freedom to do what you want. Just like the Rolling Stones song goes, I'm free to do what I want any old time. But it's not true. It's totally and utterly ridiculous. You're not free to do anything you want. You can't drive 60 in a 50 zone. You're not free to murder. You're not free to not pay taxes. No, you're bound by laws and the society you're living in. See, true freedom is to live according to your purpose. Aristotle said that a knife is truly free when it's cutting. A fish isn't free unless it's swimming in water. You see, freedom is achieving your purpose. Martin Luther said that true freedom is to do what God wants, not what we want. And that's what Jesus has freed us to do. And Jesus, as a son, he gives us security in God's family. We become the children of God. And that's a privilege. And this means that our life needs to reflect that we call God our Father. Our life needs to reflect that we belong to God the Father. Our priorities in life, the amount of time we spend at work, how we treat other people, our credit card statements, what we do on the weekends, all should reflect that we belong to God the Father. The people around you at work, at home, at social events, are they going to be able to see the family resemblance? Are they going to see that you belong to God's family? You see, because we know the truth about Jesus, we're a light to everyone else. And so if people look at the way we live, they look at our character, are they going to be able to see 
that we reflect the truth of Jesus. Jesus challenges us in verse 31. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You see, we need to stick to Jesus and persevere in his word. And if our lives don't reflect that we belong in God's family, then we need to ask the hard question. Is God really my father? Because Jesus makes it so clear in the passage to the Pharisees that their father is the devil. The passage is black or white. There's no in-between. There's no sitting on the fence. You either belong to God or you don't. And you can belong to God by taking Jesus at his word. Because Jesus' word is true. We need to put our trust in him. You see, Christianity stands or falls on the person of Jesus and what he has done. That's the difference between Christianity and all the other religions. You can still have Buddhism without Buddha. You can still have Islam without Muhammad. You can still have Mormonism without Joseph Smith. But you can't have Christianity without Jesus. If Jesus isn't God, then we're all stuffed. And all Christians should be pitied. But but it's clear in the passage that Jesus is God. So how are you going to respond? If you haven't investigated the evidence, let me encourage you to look into it. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one who sets us free. He is the one who was there before Abraham. He is God. You see, like it or not, if you haven't already recognized who Jesus is, it's eventually going to happen. Because you're going to find out who he is on that last day. Just like the Jews who would have recognized Jesus when he was lifted up on the cross. It's the same for us. See, John loves the double meanings in his gospel. And when Jesus is lifted up on the cross... He's also exalted as the Son of Man who will come back and judge. The warning is clear in verse 24. If you do not believe that I am He, you will indeed die in your sins. Jesus will come back and everyone will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord in Christ. So heed the warning. Trust the truth that is in Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate truth. The most important truth the only truth that will last even after we die and that can set us free. Jesus says in verse 52, Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. 